1999. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, things, I mean, there's been a lot of big stuff happening. Increasingly so, but in 1999, Seattle saw one of its biggest protests. Do you guys remember this? The WTO riots in, in downtown Seattle? I remember it really clearly, watching the news and seeing people with masks, waving flags. I mean, like, there were riot cops um, shooting tear gas. It was, it was big. There was over 40,000 protesters protesting this really big meeting. President Clinton was coming into town protesting... Um, Real or imagined offenses against humanity and the environment by major corporations like, like Nike. Uh, that was a big one. A lot of people were railing against Nike. But there's one image that, that stands out in my brain from all the news coverage and photos that happened in the newspaper. And it was this photo of this guy holding a sign, screaming, so intense, wearing all those, you know, all black clothes. He's standing, I think he was standing on a police car. There was smoke in the background. Things were broken windows, broken glass. This man was holding the sign protesting Nike in the unethical way that they made their shoes. And lo and behold, he was wearing Nikes. <laughs> that just sticks in my head. Like, I'll never forget that. Like, I mean, tons of damage and people injured. But the thing that sticks out in my head was this dude saying no to Nikes while wearing Nikes. And when I think about this passage, I think about that. Because God wants his people to be different. He wants us to walk the walk and talk the talk and practice what we preach and put our money where our mouth is. There's a lot of idioms that express that, right? About being, having integrity, about doing what you say you're going to do or standing up for what you actually believe in. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because God does not want us to be invisible Christians but to have that invisible change inside of us be visible on the outside. And Paul, though, wrote this letter to rebuke the churches in Galatia um, for doing kind of that. At one point he says, like, what began in the spirit, are you now going to perfect in the flesh? You're preaching grace but, and, and forgiveness and justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ, but now you're practicing that it's in your hands? Really? They'd been misled by these group of people called the Judaizers that told them that they needed to obey the whole law, you know, get circumcised and pare down their diets and, and observe all the rules and rituals that Jesus fulfilled and put aside in order to be saved. So they became believers by grace through faith, justified by Christ alone, and then were misled into thinking that they needed to earn it, even though Jesus had already done it. And Paul has strong words for the Galatians, calling them foolish at one point. He has strong words for the people leading them astray. Um, very strong words. I'm not going to read it aloud. It's Family Sunday. Very strong words for these people who are leading others astray. And this is the only epistle where there is no commendation for the reader. There's no commendation for the reader in this one. It's not like, oh, but I've heard of this and it's wonderful. I'm giving thanks for that because I hear it. It's... You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Because they've turned from the things of the Spirit to the things of the flesh. They've turned from the things of the Lord and giving glory to God through what he has done to self and giving glory to self by what they had done. And chapter 5, like I mentioned earlier, dovetails beautifully with what we've been talking about in Romans 7 and 8. 
It is this battle, the holy tension between work, uh, works of the Spirit and of the flesh. So let's read it and then let's get into it. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And it begins and ends with this thesis statement of walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. But let's define a couple things real quick. That verse Verse 16, that first one says, if I walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So let's unpack that just a little bit. The Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, but specifically the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Now the Holy Spirit's had wonderful work to do since the very beginning. Present and participating in creation and then uh, working and filling people in the Old Testament to do amazing things. I mean, think Samson, filled by the Holy Spirit. Um, working miracles, the, the Spirit was like pulling for people to love and serve God and resisting people who were living in sin and idolatry. The Holy Spirit is, uh, fell on Mary and, 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 um, and that's how Jesus was conceived. The Holy Spirit brought Jesus back to life. The Holy Spirit filled Jesus during his ministry and led him and guided him. And I think the Holy Spirit worked in the disciples as they did miracles in the name of Jesus. And then there was a change in the Holy Spirit. And the uh, $10 theology word for this is the paraclete. When the Holy Spirit came as the helper to, to indwell all of God's church. So no longer on just this person or this person or these group of people, no longer coming and going like he did with Saul. The Holy Spirit indwelt, not just regenerated, not just caused them to understand the things of the Lord. He'd always been doing that, but there's a special role of the Holy Spirit for the church. And if you profess the name of the Lord today, if you have saving faith in him, you have that helper inside you permanently. And that's a wonderful wonderful thing. We have so much assurance of our salvation because of the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal and a helper. And the Holy Spirit working through us enables us to obey and to please the Lord. This is the Spirit by which we are to walk. The Spirit inside of us. The Spirit who testifies that we are children of God. The Spirit that has changed us from the inside out. And the Spirit that works through us. And we're going to talk more about that when we get to the fruit of the Spirit. But this is what we're talking about. The remade believer on the inside, the, the, the core of our being. Where we have been completely redeemed and regenerated. In contrast with our bodies, which don't change at all when we become believers. Our entire inner self, our soul is remade and made alive in Christ, but our bodies is same old, same old. That's the thing that's yet to be redeemed in us. And I would tell you, I would say to you that 
the change that happens when we're made alive in Christ in our soul is a bigger change than that will happen when we get to heaven and get new bodies. These bodies have known sin. These bodies um, are, are fallen and doomed to die. Um, Jesus came in the likeness of human flesh. So even though he had never sinned, he was in a, in a body that was doomed to die. And his glorified body when he resurrected will never die. We're looking forward to that. That day when we're not just freed from the power of sin and the punishment of sin on our eternal souls, but even the presence of sin. Because right now, for those of you who are born again, you are sitting so close to sin always. It surrounds you. It's just right here. That's why we need to be constantly refreshed by the renewal of our minds and how we need to be practicing in our bodies and our actions the things of the Lord. But this is the battle between the spirit that's been remade and our flesh that hasn't yet been remade. Between the spirit in us who wants to worship God and please him and do the things of the Lord and obey and our body that wants to do all sorts of other stuff. And the first verse we're going to talk about, we've been talking about, puts out a very clear line. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You cannot do both. You cannot do both. You cannot sinfully accomplish things that glorify God. You can't. It's one or the other. One or the other. So this is it. The flesh has its own desires, sinful desires, and our spirit has the desires of the Lord. So we walk by the Spirit and our new inner self that has been redeemed. Um, and we walk by the Spirit where our inner, new um, inner self that has been redeemed uh, gets, to, gets to lead out. And so we don't, don't satisfy the desires of the flesh. Why? For the flesh, this is verse 17 now, sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. These are the two factions vying for our attention, and they are constantly at odds with each other. We have our dying flesh and the living spirit. And notice how it says, so that you may not do the things that you want. Take note of that. Because we want different things as believers. This is the battle. We want to glorify God. We want to worship him. We want to obey him. We want to get in his word. We want to pray. We want to do all these wonderful things. And we also, at the same time, because of our flesh, want to sin. We want to because we like it. Our bodies, our minds love sin. If we didn't love doing it, it wouldn't be so hard to avoid, right? It'd be like most people avoiding kale. Romans 7 and gives us this tense, pained picture of this when Paul posits in uh, verse 6 of Romans 7, but now we've been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit, not the oldness of the letter. And then goes on to clarify that in verse 14 through 25. And I'm going to read this here in, in uh, Romans 7. Feel free to just, just listen, listen, because it's a tangle. And I want you to, to embrace the tangle. Because if you're a fighting believer today, you know the tangle. So just, let's just listen to this, because it's, it's, it's the mess. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just such a good verse, I had to continue. Um, But you guys see that tangle, that battle. It's like, I want to do this, but I'm not doing this. I hate doing this, but I'm going to do it, and I don't want to do it. I want to do that, and I love doing this. Oh, that's the Apostle Paul. Like, <clears throat> but consider the, recon- the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus performed on the cross. Consider that, where he looked at, as Colossians calls us, alienated and hostile to God, looked at us, a people who were alienated and hostile to him, and he said, I love you, and died for us, crossing that line on the battlefield in order to make peace with his enemies by allowing his blood to be spilled But our flesh still needs to be redeemed. This is just a brutal passage to teach because the battle there. Did you guys feel that battle? Good answer. <clears throat> and so when we have the ministry of reconciliation, when we've been made new, we can feel that tension. We ought to feel that tension. You must feel that tension. If you do not feel that tension, have you been really reconciled to Christ? Do you have new life in you? If there's no tension, are you at peace with sin? Jesus went to war against that sin so that you wouldn't do the things that you please, but instead that you could do the things that you now would be pleased to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18 now, you are not under the law. Now we needed to define something else real quick. Quick aside, the law, the law. Paul uses the law, the phrase the law, in three different ways in his epistles. He uses it to refer to the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. He uses it to refer to the entire Old Testament. And he uses it to refer to the mistaken belief that one can be justified on their own apart from works. Those are the three uses that, uh, that of, 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 of the phrase the law that Paul uses. And Paul's talking here, I think, about the actual Mosaic Law because in the Galatians mistakenly believed they had to keep the whole law in order to be saved. But remember, the Holy Spirit is doing something different in this new covenant. Jesus completely filled that law, doing what we never could, and now we have the Spirit of Christ and are freed from the burden and condemnation of the law. We have a different perspective on the law than those who are um, still in the flesh and not in the Spirit. We have a very different perspective. Now, if you haven't studied the law, Old Testament law, and looked at the rules and all that, um, I would suggest it. 
as you look at the law and you read, like even just like the sundry laws at the end of Deuteronomy, you get to know what God loves and what God hates. You get to see that. Yeah, we don't have to um, restrict ourselves from bacon. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> we're freed from the signs of the law. You know, we're not, we're not bound to circumcision and the Sabbath. Those were signs of the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. But when we look at the law and the things God commanded of his people, the way, they had, the way he commanded that his people treat others is absolutely wonderful and enlightening to us. God loved loves people and you can see it as you read the law his love for people for the poor for the sick for children for women for all people you can see that as you read his law and here are the two perspectives on it when we are in the flesh the law is the source of condemnation for the sinner God gave the law to increase knowledge of sin in part to increase knowledge of sin so that we would know for a fact that we are desperately broken and lost, rebels against God and, and his moral perfection. Where the law condemns us and shows us our absolute inability to please him. That is, that is the view of the law apart from Christ and apart from the Spirit. But like verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Instead, the law is a blessing. The law is a blessing to us because we look at it and we think, oh, that is what God loves. Oh, that is what God hates. Oh, God really stands up for the poor and the broken. Oh, God really loves the sinner who couldn't possibly keep that law. We see it now in a completely different light where before we were unable to obey and now, because of the work of the Spirit and our new life, we are able to obey. Romans 8, 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. But as we walk by the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, we absolutely can. And so our view of the law and of obeying God and, and fulfilling His commandments is done out of love for that one who crossed the battlefield to make peace with us, His enemies. If we love Him, we will keep His commands. It'll be our joy. It'll be our joy to fulfill the moral law of God. <clears throat> Galatians, uh, at the, uh, earlier in this chapter, verses 2 through 6, he talks about this very thing. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now Paul is going to talk about those who walk apart from the Spirit, those who have fallen from grace and depend on themselves and the works of the law rather than the grace of God in order to please God, who rely on themselves and their own ability, which means they are walking according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. These are ones who have put themselves under the law by putting their hope in works of the flesh rather than work, the work of the Spirit. And, and he equates these people who are, now, uh, 
in our sympathetic hearts, we can look at the Galatians and say, they've been misled, they've been duped, and that's fair, they have. Um, because what they're doing is they're trying to obey the law, they're trying to do all these extra things that seem maybe on the surface that they're trying to do a good thing. You know, they're trying to, uh, they're, they've been required to, to be circumcised and, and, and keep to the dietary laws. But that is works of the flesh. That is works of the flesh. And so Paul has no compassion. He has no, there's no sympathy here. It's not like, oh yeah, you guys are trying to do so, you guys are trying so hard, you're working so good, you just missed it in this little bit. No, 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 no. When we put it on ourselves to work and to achieve, we take it from Jesus. When we try to do it ourselves, like he says, the cross is of no use to you. And when we take on any of that, we're bound by the whole law. Because if it depends on you in any one point, it depends on you entirely. That's what he's saying right here. Do not put yourself under the law where there is only condemnation, but rather put yourself under grace where there is no condemnation. And so these people, they, we might be able to spin the news that they are doing a good thing in the wrong way, but we see here, Paul has not given them any wiggle room. If you are walking by the flesh, you are not walking by the Spirit. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I am not going to do a word study or anything like that on each one of these things, but please know that the list is not exhaustive even though it covers a, lo a lot of ground. But the key word here is evident. Um, and I doubt anyone needs to go to the Greek to understand this word. This is a, oh, I look at it, I see it. You know, you don't need to know leaf patterns and, and, and types of bark to look at a tree that has apples growing out of it and say that's an apple tree. Um, it's evident. It's apparent. It's just right there. The deeds of the flesh are evident. And there are a few categories listed here. Um, there are sins that violate God's beautiful design for married folk. There are sins of rejecting God's authority and power, sins against others, sins of senselessness. Um, and then verse 21 here, before we, before we go any further, at the end of verse 21, it does not teach that doing things, these things causes us to lose our salvation. That is not what it is teaching, because if you did not earn it, you cannot unearn it. If you did not earn it, you cannot unearn it. But the point being made is that those who practice those things, those who make those their path that are at peace with their sin and their flesh are not of the kingdom. Are not of the kingdom. Because these things start in the heart. You remember when Jesus was teaching? He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, um, if a man looks at a woman, and with what in his heart, you've committed it. If a man, yeah, you've heard it said, don't commit murder, but if a man's angry with his brother in his heart, there it is. The guilt lies there first and foremost. And out of that come the fruits of that. 
So we're talking about root stuff here that is evident in fruit stuff. These things, starts, this things, these things start in our heart. And those who are born of the Spirit, uh, those who are born of the flesh, have no capacity to say no to those things. Why? Because they're still enslaved to those things. They're still enslaved to sin, unregenerate in their hearts, and, they, uh, um, and that's, that's, the, that's the kind of tree they are. But those who are born of the Spirit, like 2 Corinthians says, we are a new creation. A new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So those who are in the Spirit won't make a practice of these things, but those who in the flesh will. Now this also serves, this also serves as a, uh, like a symptom checker, like a WebMD of the heart. So if you see, if you see these things coming, coming out of, your, out of your mouth or in your actions, check yourself. Check your heart. If you feel these things rising up in you, check yourself. Are you walking by the Spirit or are you walking by the flesh? And we'll talk about what that looks like at the end. But this is a symptom checker. And as I read that, I'm sure um, that there was at least one in here who's going, oh, I don't do that, 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 I don't do that. Great. That was a really encouraging list. Thank you, Pastor Arthur. Let's read it again real quick. And I want you to examine your heart because we all struggle with, with some of these things. What's the root of these things? What's the root of these things? Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Do you guys see the categories there? It all starts with a desire of things that are not of the Lord, that bypass his plan for you, that bypass his power in your life, that bypass his purpose for you, that bypass his desire that we are unified rather than broken. <clears throat> Romans 8, 12 through 15 says really clearly, um, talks about this, this fight we have against those things, against those things. So then, brethren, starting, uh, Romans 8, 12 through 15, so then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So that, that is the fruit of the flesh that we just read, the fruit of us. That is what we produce in our bodies, in our minds, and that's where the battle is. If you've been freed by Christ, you don't have to do those things. You don't have to have those things as part of your, um, what's that thing called? Cornucopia. <laughs> of your fruit offering at the table. We have been freed from that master. And when we, when we turn again to obey the lust of the flesh, we are saying yes to an old master to whom we have no obligation. That is a choice that we have made. And we have to make this choice daily, hourly, 
In some situations, minute by minute, response by response in conversation with somebody else sometimes. We have to, we have to decide. We have to remember we are adopted in the family of God, not because of anything we did, but just because of his great love, and we love him, and so we keep his commandments. So when we see these things in us, we have the choice for those of us who are born again. We have the choice to say no to these things. We have the choice to turn from them. 1 Corinthians 10 says, there's no temptation that's overcome you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful when you are tempted, he's going to provide a way out. For those who are believers, there is always a way out. On the other side, on the other side, but the fruit of the Spirit, that was the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And this list is the contrast this is the fruit, these are the fruit of the tree that is rooted in Christ, the tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. And what a wonderful list. Who would not want to be any of these things on this list? This is a beautiful list, the highest ideal. This is what reflects the character of God. Why? Because it is the character of God, because it's the fruit of his spirit. And as we are putting to death the old self and saying no to the flesh, his spirit shines through us and produces this fruit that only God can produce. Now, you can accidentally be kind apart from the Spirit. You can accidentally be self-controlled. You know, lots of people, lots of people are able to achieve really rigorous like training and diet regimens. That takes self-control. But what are they glorifying? What is their goal there with doing it themselves? That's self-glory. That's self-glory. And when you look at your life and you think, well, I'm kind. I'm kind. What are you missing? You're missing the goal of that. When we look at ourselves, our job is to lay down our lives and live for him. When we look at ourselves, like, oh, I'm naturally a kind person. That's giving glory to self. Now, you... you you might be a kind person, and that's great. That's <laughs> it's great. But what are we? Ta- but the goal of this passage is to teach these people who wanted to do it themselves and rely on themselves to stop it. <laughs> to stop it. What began in the spirit cannot be perfected by the flesh. You cannot rely on your just innate kindness to give glory to God. There is no surrender there. There's no, there's no heart change. There's no contrast. It's like believing you were fine before the lifeguard showed up and rescued you and gave you CPR. I was doing great. But then the lifeguard came and helped me swim better. <laughs> that's not what that's... <clears throat> but here's another symptom checker, this passage here. Another symptom checker. For those of you who are believers, can you look at your life, let's say the past year, the past year, can you look at your life and say, I am growing in these areas as I've been submitting to the Lord. I've been, in my, I've been in the word, I've been praying, and I've been growing in this area. Last year, I was not, uh, I did not have this kind of joy. 
Last year, I did not have this kind of patience. Last year, I did not have this kind of faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. If you can, celebrate that. Don't shy away and think that, oh, if I tell other people that the Holy Spirit's producing this in me, I'm going to be bragging about myself. That's not the situation. If you go to another believer and say, oh man, I just realized that the Lord has produced in me love for others when last year I had no love for them. A believer is going to say, praise God. And who gets the glory for that? God does. If you go to another believer and said, I have remained kind because I'm just a nice, kind person, well, good for you. That's nice. But those who live according to the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. Romans 8, 8 says it. The fruit of the flesh is what we produce. And even if in our flesh it seems like a nice thing, it is not a nice thing. It is deceptive and it draws us away from our total dependence on the cross. The fruit of the Spirit is what he produces through us. Don't make the mistake the Galatians did in thinking that you produce righteousness in yourself. Our righteousness is a gift of God through Jesus and brought to bear in our lives by the ministry of the Spirit. And it enables us to obey finally, finally. God gave one rule to Adam and Eve and they couldn't keep it. One rule. He wanted them to obey. He wanted them to have the best life giving him glory and enjoying a relationship with him forever. That's the highest ideal. It's to give God glory and enjoy him forever. And we can't do that if we're not walking by the Spirit. But also that grace of God, and you cannot miss this, that grace of God is a second chance to obey or third chance or a million and seventh, which is what it feels like sometimes. God's grace is that opportunity to obey over and over in the epistles, we get reminders. Don't use your grace as, an, as a chance to sin more. Use your grace as an opportunity to worship and serve the, serve the Most High God. Grace is that, is that other chance to please God and to fulfill our purpose, which is not to be our own shepherds. It's to be the sheep following the good shepherd. Listen to how David describes God's law real quick. When, he, when, when David, King David, one of the most spectacular sinners that we read about in the word of God, but also described as a man after God's own heart. Um, I think he, he fits this picture, like Paul does, of the sinner submitting to the will of God and constantly needing to be renewed by God's grace and forgiveness. Um, wanting to do the things uh, of the Lord, but also wanting to do the things of the flesh and hating what he does um, and wanting to do what he tension that tangled not again here's what david wrote about the law of the lord the law of the lord is from psalm 19 verses 7 through 11 what i consider the greatest passage on the sufficiency of scripture and all of scripture the law of the lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the lord is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the lord is clean enduring forever the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. In this list, we see the ideals 
of God, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, of someone who can look at the law of God and say, yes, Lord, yes, desiring the fruits of his own nature, these, these things that are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, more desirable to someone who is redeemed than gold. These fruits of the Spirit, because they're the only things that can satisfy our heart if we're going to take that fruit metaphor one step further to serving and being on our plate to eat and to enjoy. These things satisfy our souls. Why? Because they are the things that come out of the life inside of us because of the new life we have in Christ, not out of our dead, dying bodies. These things that we're just so ready and anxious to be free of. You guys ever thought about heaven and the peace that's going to come when you're in a new body? You're freed from not just the power and the punishment of sin, but even the presence of sin, where all your thoughts are going to be wonderful and perfect and all your actions are going to be right and God glorifying and it's going to be instinct. We'll be pure inside and out and instinctually worshiping God without the battle and the tangle and the struggle and the fight because this is where the suffering of a Christian lies most often. It is universal to every Christian. We struggle as Americans different than, than the Christians in, in China suffer. But we all struggle universally with this. Desiring to do good, but at the same time desiring not to do good. <clears throat> I'm going to move ahead. But real quick, before we move to this last couple of verses, I want to point out one thing. At the end of this list, um, at the end of this list, he, he says this phrase, against such things, there is no law. Against such things, there is no law. It is a bit tongue-in-cheek of Paul, who gets really sassy in some of his letters. Um, read Philemon. Um, <clears throat> but he's, but of course there's no law against those things, right? Of course there's no law. Why would, why would God put a law against loving others? Of course there's no law. But what was the concern of the original reader? It is achieving righteous, righteousness independent of the Spirit. And by saying this about the law, Paul is reminding them they are not bound to the law in debt to sin and the flesh, and that by the Spirit we can fulfill the law. Romans 13 tells us something really important um, for believers about our view of the law. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And just a few verses before the passage we got into today, um, in verse 14 of Galatians 5, he says it again. For the whole law is fulfilled in the one word, uh, in one word in this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, it is no accident that love is the first in the list of fruit of the Spirit. That is the biggest difference in the outpouring, in the evident fruit of someone who is walking by the Spirit and someone who is walking by the flesh. So, how do we win this fight? Battling with the tension. How do we do the things our spirit, the spirit of God wants to do in us? How do we do those things that we actually desire in our regenerate hearts and say no to the things of the flesh? Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've heard that phrase, take up your cross, take up your cross daily and follow him. That's what that reminder is. Take up your cross. That symbol of shame, the symbol of, uh, of death and of condemnation. We remember when we symbolically take up our cross every single day that today is the Lord's. He's given it to me. He's made me new. And I am going to, to use an old theology phrase, mortify the flesh so that I can walk in the Spirit. We take that cross up every day to remind ourselves to crucify the flesh with its passions because we who have been saved have joined Christ symbolically in his death, being, having our old nature completely put away in the grave. And we join him symbolically in his new life, in his resurrection. <clears throat> it is a daily thing and it is, it, it, um, it is brutal. As crucifixion is brutal. It'll feel just as brutal some days to you when you have to say no to yourself and that thing you really want. And you're just like right there. It's at the tips of your fingers to pursue that fleshly desire. And to say no feels so deeply unsatisfying in that moment where you want to say that thing because it'll perfectly get them back for all the months of frustration you've had with this person. You can say one thing, throw them under the bus and get retribution. Or sometimes my brain thinks of like really sassy things to say in the moment. That's a, that's a battle when your body and your flesh, your mind wants something so unholy to say no to that is, is hard. That is real suffering. Don't make light of that fact that that is real suffering and it ought to be happening every single day. This is a hard life we've been called to and I'm so thankful we know it's going to end <laughs> and that one day we're going to get these new bodies that don't struggle with this. But if you have been saved by grace through faith, if you've been made alive by the Spirit of God, we ought to walk in the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. I'm going to give you five steps to walking with the Spirit. You guys get it? Steps to walking? Thank you. I'm so clever. <clears throat> five steps to walking with the Spirit. First off, Confess. You must start with humility when you approach the throne of God. When you approach the concept of walking by the Spirit, it cannot be, all right, God, are you excited to hear what I'm going to do for you today? You're welcome. <laughs> no, it needs to begin how we began at that moment of salvation for us, where we are on our knees knowing that we've got nothing and he's got it all. We confess our absolute need, our 100% need. If you hold anything back, the cross is going to be of no use to you. If you say, God, I've got most of it, but don't worry about me here. I got this part. I don't need you leading there. I got it. Confess your inability to produce righteousness without the Lord's help, knowing that the fruit of you independent from him is not a great list. Don't deceive yourselves by thinking you got it. Confess to pray and ask God for help in putting off the things of our sinful flesh and putting on the things of our spirit. I heard a, a quote once and it stuck in my mind, even though it's phrased in a bit confusing way. God will not grant you apart from prayer that which he has ordained to give you only by prayer. 
Let me say it again. God will not grant you, apart from prayer, that which he has ordained to give you only through prayer. We ought to be on our knees. Like 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, we need to be praying without ceasing. I'm going to tell you my favorite prayer. Um, lately, this is my favorite prayer in the entire Bible. It is when Peter is sinking after walking on the water and he yells out, Lord, save me. That is a prayer of rescue in a moment of need when we have fallen because we have taken our eyes off the Savior to follow the flesh. Lord, save me. It is like, the, it is like a rescue. It is like the EpiPen of the day, of the moment, when we just we know we're sinking, we know we're going to fall to it, and we know we've got nothing, to, we've got nothing in ourselves to, to re- resist. To say no to our old master of sin and death, we say, Lord, save me. We need to pray without ceasing. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. And then we need to trust. We need to trust that God has freed us from our sin and will provide help. We confess and we pray and then we must trust in the Lord's goodness. What doubting would look like is thinking, I got this and if I can't get it, um, then, uh, then I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy or I'm less of a Christian or um, where it's, it's all based on our flesh and no relation to what Christ has done, what Christ has achieved, what Christ has already accomplished. When we trust, we trust in his victory already won. We trust and that trust must be followed by step four, which is act. You actually need to put your money where your mouth is. You actually need to walk the walk, practice what you preach, Talk the talk. You actually need to do it. Now, this is step four, not step one, intentionally. As we confess our need and pray to the Lord for help and we trust him, then we act. If we're starting with action, we're starting with the wrong thing. We're starting with self. And when you think about this, this list, and we'll get to step five in just a sec, this list really mirrors how someone comes to the Lord in saving faith, right? They bow their knee at the foot of the cross. They pray and ask God for help, for divine rescue. And then they trust that God will keep his promises. They put their trust in him. See, what's going to keep us going is preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. Yes, we've been saved, and God will be faithful to sustain and sanctify those who he has saved and will glorify them on that last day. And we've also been called to obey under his strength, and so you must act. This is the step of evidence. This is the step of evidence where your desire to serve God and follow the Spirit has fruit evident to those around you. If it is not apparent, if it is not evident in your life that you are a follower of Christ, we got to go back to step one and pray and confess our need. We confess, we pray, we trust, we act, and then step five, not to be neglected as we are commanded to do this all the time, is give thanks. At every opportunity, give thanks. 
Take joy in what God has done for you. Take joy in every single victory against the flesh. Take joy in every single moment when you can show love to another, forgiveness or kindness or gentleness, any of the fruit of the Spirit you can show to someone else. Give thanks to the Lord for doing that in you. Give thanks for apparent fruit in others and give thanks that when you fail, that he has not removed his grace in your life. Give thanks that he has already accomplished the work and he will be faithful to sustain you to the end. Be thankful that when you wake up, you will experience his new mercies every morning until we reach glory. Be thankful for every opportunity. Be thankful that when we stumble, he doesn't just lightning bolt us out of existence, but but he sustains us out of his patience and his forbearance. Give thanks. That will be wind in your sails. We have an eternal list of things to be thankful for, regardless of our physical circumstances. So do not be the Nike protester wearing Nikes. Hold fast to the gospel and your need for the spirit to lead you. Your actions declare what your heart values and do they match what you say you believe? Are you led by the spirit? If not, your hope is in Jesus. Your hope is in Jesus and you better start that on your knees. The battle can be won, but not by you. (laughs) But not by you. Let's pray. Lord, Father, God, thank you so much for the infinite hope we find in you, God. Victories you've already won, battles you've already fought, and gifts you've already given to us, God. If there's anyone here who has not put their trust in you, God, I pray you bring them to your knees out of need, God. They cannot please you apart from your gift of grace and righteousness. They cannot have that hope of eternity without your regeneration and making them alive in their souls, God. Please keep all of us strong in you, weak in self and strong in you so that our flesh is weak and ineffective, so that your spirit can be big and bold and strong in us. Let us be true lights and salt in the world. And God, keep us strong through the inevitable persecution that happens when we look different and act different and speak different and think different. We love you and we need you a lot and we thank you for your grace and your kindness. Bless our wheat, God. Bless the life groups as they go to sharpen, uh, sharpen each other and pray for each other and, um, and bring us all back safely next week for more fellowship, God. We love you and we thank you for all of our, all of our blessings, God. Gifts from you. Amen.